You're listening to a podcast from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can take your Bibles and you can turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 3. We will be looking at that in, in just a, a few moments. And, um, and so encourage you to, to have your Bibles ready and open to that. We've been looking at the qualities over the last number of weeks in a short kind of three-week message series on what does a quality, authentic follower of Christ looks like. And, and we've been talking about that it is someone who worships Christ, and that was week number one. It is someone who walks with Christ, and, and that was last week. And today we are going to look at so that an authentic follower of Christ, a disciple, is someone who works for Christ. And so we're going to unbe- unpack that. And I just love this picture that was made for us and for this series that, that we've had around here and we've, we've done some advertising with it, that it, it, it's about our worship, about our hands raised, about our hearts being impacted by the truth of God's word and, and what that does. But then it's also our daily walk that, that we are continue to walk with Christ. And, and then finally, ways that we work for Christ. And, and I just love the way that our Harvest trailer was thrown in there and, and Dwayne's truck and, and in front of the school. And it's a reminder that, that we actively, we work for Christ and, and in uh, some very significant ways and, and also many behind the scenes kind of way. And, and so we're going to look at First Peter. We're going to get right to the word of God because it is through God's word that, 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 that he speaks to us. And, and he takes my words and, and he can use those. But ultimately, it is the word of God that needs to speak. And so may it speak to us as we read in First Peter. Peter chapter 3, and I'm going to start in verse 7, because this is just such a beautiful passage. It is just, just, just beautiful, and it is timely for this message series. And so, in, in verse 7 of 1 Peter 3, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. As good stewards of God's varied grace, whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now before we unpack this passage, I want to be so crystal clear with you here this morning. Please get this into your heads and understand this. That we do not work and we cannot work our way into heaven. We don't get to heaven by our good works. Our works won't, they cannot save us. Thinking that somehow if I just do enough good stuff and it somehow outweighs the bad stuff, it's going to tip the scales eventually in, in our favor or we cross our fingers and, and hope that it, we're, we're going to make it and, and, and that God's going to love us and, and if we just do enough good and, and, and run away from enough bad stuff and, and, and that somehow that's going to get us to heaven and it's going to get God's smile upon our life if we just do enough good things. Just be crystal clear this morning, you cannot work your way into heaven. And, and Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 is so clear on that. And, and I mean, this, I mean, 
I'm just going to read these verses from Ephesians 2 because basically you see the worship, walk, and work very much alive here. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. By what Christ has done, we worship him. And, and it goes on, and this not of your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so no one may boast. And it goes on to say, we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, and we should walk in them. There you see worship, walk, and work right there. It's throughout Scripture. And, and so we're going to be looking at it, though, from this, this passage today about our work for God and, and what he calls us to do. And our work for him flows out of our worship of him. It flows out of our daily walk with him. That's how it goes. And listen to this statement. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. When we get our vertical relationship right, then the horizontal finds its right place. When we get our relationship with God right and understanding who he is and, and going deeper in that, when we focus on our vertical relationship, the horizontal happens. But what happens in so many cases and, and so many, you know what, especially mainline denominations, but can easily happen within the Protestant um, denominations, it can happen within our churches that we think it's about the horizontal relationship with Christ, that, that if I do enough things, then the vertical is somehow going to get going. But no, we focus on our relationship with Christ first and foremost. It's, it's our vertical, and as we get the vertical right, then the horizontal takes care of itself. But I also want to dispel the idea that, oh, I'm saved, I pray to prayer, I go to church, but right now I'm just really busy and, and I'm going through a lot and so I'm just going to focus on me right now and I'm just going to kind of take it easy and, and we get thinking that I really don't have to do anything, that, that, that when it comes to serving God and working for him, I can just take it easy and others can do it and, and we are all called to be part of his workmanship. Faith cannot be removed, our faith cannot be removed or detached from the realm of real life and our service for God. Salvation is just not the forgiveness of our sins, but it's a new order of life. It's a transformation. He desires to transform us. And if that transformation is happening, it will show in our obedience. It will show in, in our desires that are changing, that are growing. And we don't fight it. We don't resist it. We obey. And Jesus said, if you, if you love me, you will keep my commands. Listen to this statement by Paul Tripp. He said, Jesus' work for you is complete. But his work in you is incomplete. So let's participate in the work of redemption today in our lives. He wants to keep doing that work in and through us. And that's where our worship and our walk and our work come together. And a tremendous part of our spiritual growth comes from the work that we do for Christ. When we step up and we serve and we take steps of faith and... and, and um, and give our time to him, and we give our, our finances to him, and we do this work for him, as we step into it and, and, and step out in faith, that is oftentimes a great way for our faith to grow. And our mandate for it is in Matthew chapter 28. Our mandate for the work that we are called to do is so clear in the great commission that Jesus gave. In Matthew 28, in, in, and I have these these words here on the screen that I'd love for us just to, to look at as I read them. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. 
Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What does Jesus say in there? What's our mandate? To go. We are to, to go and to make disciples. And basically, if you boil, down, boil that down, go and tell others. Go tell others about Christ and see Christ do that work and give them that opportunity for them to respond to Christ. It's, it's tell them and then teach them. Help them to grow up. And all of us, we continue to keep growing up in that way. So tell and teach is, is part of that great commission that we are given, knowing that Jesus has commanded us to do it. And, and it just even states that all authority has been given to him. And so, so he is now telling us. So, so when, you know, when a brother or sister tells their sibling to do something, that doesn't carry a lot of authority, does it? It's just like, well, who do you think you are telling me to do that? However, when mom or dad tell you to do something, that gets a lot more serious, doesn't it? Then you take notice of it. And so here is Jesus, and he's telling the disciples, listen, all authority is mine. I mean, this is the guy who calmed the storm, drove out demons, fed the the thousands, raised the dead, raised, I mean, he himself was raised from the dead, beat death, beat sin, beat the grave. And so now he's saying, understand this, all authority is mine. And so he, he's just telling him, your, your job now, listen up, listen up, here you go, is to go. And so we go. And we go and we make disciples. And, and what is a quality disciple? We, someone who worships Christ, walks with Christ, and works for Christ. And so as we look now into 1 Peter, here is the thing for each one of us in this room that you need to understand. I don't care if this is your first Sunday here, if, if you are a follower in Christ, if you have been with us right from the start, whoever it is, you must understand this. God has uniquely designed you. He has uniquely prepared you. He has uniquely gifted you and placed you to work for Him. To be on mission for Him. And so, As we look at this passage, and we're just going to kind of work through it uh, line by line here. First of all, we work with a sense of urgency. In verse 7, it says, The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. These people that Peter was talking to, that he was writing to, these people were struggling. Life was hard. They were weary. They were tired. They were facing persecution as they were taking a stand for Christ, as they were gathering together, as they were desiring to live out their lives for Christ, they were facing persecution. And so they were becoming weary and tired and and even some of them wanting just to pack it in and say, is it really worth it? They were being dispersed into into other regions and other countries because the, the persecution that was going on. And so now we have Peter, the older, more seasoned disciple. Remember Peter? I, I, I kind of like the young version of Peter as well. I mean, he was a guy who oftentimes spoke too much, listened too little, got in there. I mean, but, but he was a game changer, wasn't he? He was, the, he was the only one that was willing to jump out of the boat. The others didn't have the courage to do it. At least he was willing to jump out of the boat and start walking on the water. He was the one that pulled out the, the, the sword and cut off the, the Roman soldier's ear. The others were just standing there, you know. At least he was ready to do something about it. But now we have a little more mature, a little more seasoned Peter, And here he's challenging the people and he's telling them, this isn't the time to retreat. This isn't the time to to, to take a step back. In fact, it's time to step it up a notch. Let's get going. Come on, let's move. 
This is not the time to to retreat. Instead, we're going to press in harder. And so he's saying, folks, you got to remember, the end is near. The end of all things is at hand. That was a few years ago. Think about it now. Have you ever, I mean, as a kid growing up and growing up in church and kind of having this understanding that Jesus could return at any time, I'm telling you, as a young kid, it scared the weebie-jeebies out of me at times. I, I remember one time on the farm, remember I talked about that last week, the outhouse, different places there. I, I, I remember that um, one night, the Northern Lights, Northern Lights in Saskatchewan just can really kick it at times. They are just amazing and, and haven't quite been able to enjoy them quite as much here in Kelowna. I haven't noticed them as much. But I remember one night, it was like this cone was situated over our house and you could just see it was a big kind of a black circle followed by just the rays of of these greenish blue northern lights that were shining down and my mom said these words she said wouldn't that be amazing if Jesus just returned right through those right now I'm like no I'm not ready you know and I remember I trucked off to the outhouse you know everyone's enjoying it and I'm just just praying, just thinking, oh, I, I, if he comes, I, I hope I'm ready. And, and, and plus, there's a few things I kind of still want to accomplish. This wouldn't really be all that fitting. You know, I'd like to at least turn 16 and get my driver's license. And, 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 if, and if possible, I would just love to at least get married because I understand that marriage is going to be different in heaven and kind of would, would love a little bit of marriage and, and, and to see what that's all like. You know, and you know what we're talking about. And, and you know, I mean, it's, it's this kind of thing that, you know, just not ready for. And then as, as a young pastor in Saskatoon, I had a roommate and, and we had this one. He, he, I had some stereo equipment. He had some stereo equipment. And in this apartment, we made this really kicking stereo system. I mean, this thing. I mean, what it could do was pretty nasty and uh, um, in a good way, uh, not for our neighbors. And, and so we didn't use it that much. But one time, a, a friend was visiting and, and they were talking and they were just playing some music and, and that and different soundtracks that he had on compact disc. You guys remember what those are? Those are kind of, yeah, we don't see those too much anymore. Anyways, I went off to bed and I just nicely had drifted off and, and was having this great sleep. And all of a sudden, there was this noise. And they had taken and cranked the stereo and they played this little soundtrack of trumpets or something. And I was laying in bed and I thought for sure, it was so, I mean, everything was shaking and it scared me so badly. I thought for sure this was it. This was the trumpet call of, of, of Jesus. This is it. This is the end. And how come I, and, and I remember I'm laying there and, and I'm just like, how come I'm not going up? Like, what's the problem here? You know, like, and then, then I, then all of a sudden the sound stops and, and I hear these guys just kill themselves laughing. And I'm just like, oh, you guys, like, what have you done here? Like, it, it really caused me, you know, it's some concern here. And, and so Peter's reminding the people, though, he, say, he says, the end is near. And, and folks, he wanted just to keep it before them that, that we keep going because we don't know when the end will come. We don't know when Jesus will come. But when you see what's going on in our world now, a couple thousand years after this, and you're seeing what is taking place. Even this week I read that the doomsday clock, this, this clock that was established, I think it was in the 40s or the 50s, kind of just taking the, the thread of the world that, that doomsday is coming. And, and this week it was moved two minutes 
closer to midnight. We are at 11.57. They say because of the nuclear threats that are still out there with North Korea and with just some of the other stuff going on, as well as climate change issues and and political leadership and, and different things that are going on in our world, they see we are three minutes from doomsday. And it's just like, you think? I mean, God's word is telling us that the birth pains are happening, that, that Christ could return at any time. And so Peter's saying, this is not the time to, 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 to relax and take your foot off the pedal. Come on, folks, the end is near. And then when that happens, woohoo, it's heaven. So keep going, don't give in, don't pack it in. It's got to... Come on, let's keep moving. And, and so he, he's just challenging them to, to not give it up. The end is near. And so what does he say? So be self-controlled. Be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. This doesn't mean just to walk around, be boring, and just take life really seriously. But when it comes to the spiritual work that God has called us to do, we need to be on mission. We've got to take it seriously. We've got to pray seriously and, and, and not just kind of, you know, yeah, you know, I'll get around to some of these things. I'll get around to sharing with my neighbor. I'll, I'll get around to, to, to serving, you know, when life gets, gets going a little bit. No, he's like, come on, let's get going. The end is near. We've got to take this seriously. And it says, for the sake of your prayers. Hmm. Any work that we do for Christ as a disciple of Christ must be started, bathed in, and completed in prayer. Because it keeps our eyes on Jesus. It keeps us tuned in to Him. And it's so important that, that we pray. The lost person who is within a stone's throw, and, and some of you can probably throw fairly far, you know, or maybe a, a slingshot kind of distance. You take a slingshot just outside any one of the doors here at, at, at you know, at this this worship center, this church where we're meeting at here at the school, the person who is lost and doesn't know Christ and is still maybe even sleeping in bed at this hour is not laying there praying and saying, oh Jesus, I hope that you find me and save me at some point. They're not praying for themselves. Who's praying for them? Who's praying that they would come to know Christ? Who's praying that that there would be born-again Christians who love them and care for them and want to share Christ for them. Where's that church that is meeting within that stone's throw? Are we praying for the people in our community? We want to be praying on Wednesday night in a strategic way for the people in our community, those who don't know Christ. They're not praying for themselves. We are to pray for them. They might be crying out and saying, is, is, is life even worth it? They, they, they may be sending out just a broad prayer. God, if you're out there, answer me. But we are to be praying for them. And so for the sake of our prayers, we take it seriously. This city, this country, this world will not be transformed apart from prayer. It won't be transformed through relevant, strategic, visionary, savvy, wealthy, attractive, educated, articulate, active Christians. It's not going to be saved that way. I mean, these are all interesting qualities and they're nice and can be helpful at times when it comes to building a religious organization or building a church, but ultimately the world is transformed by ordinary men and women, teenagers, boys and girls who are on fire for Jesus Christ, who understand what worship is, what it is to worship Christ with our lives because of what he has done. It compels us to want to walk with him. It, it, it then builds within us to want to work for him. And so we work for him in this way and, and we pray and we pray, say, God, save them. God, you heal them. God, you show up in their lives. And God, while you're at it, 
Keep doing it in me. Keep changing, keep healing, keep transforming, keep changing me. And what creates and builds a spiritual movement, the thing that brings revival is not a program, it is not a pastor, it is not a church with some smart growth strategy. It comes from people who are willing to seek the face of God in prayer. That's where it starts. That's the starting point of it. And so we take it seriously. We're sober-minded. We want to be self-controlled. We want to be committed to prayer. A.W. Tozer said, the fearful world we live in needs a fearless church to pursue them. <laughs> this world is full of fear. You get talking to anyone and what's going on out there, they may try to, oh, it's not that big of a deal, but in, in their heart of hearts, there's fear. There's fear about the economy. Sure, we love cheap gas prices, but what's that going to do to, well, cheaper gas prices, but um, what's that going to do to the economy in Canada? And, and what's that going to do to my savings? What's that going to do all around here for, for me? And, and there's a lot of fear with what's going on with whether it's Ebola or ISIS and, and so many things going on. You might say, but I'm tired, I'm weary, I'm sick. So what do we do? We pray. We seek God. Again, I can't emphasize the importance of us being a praying people in a praying church. That's why Wednesday night, setting aside that time, is so vital. And so what do we do? First of all, so, so we work with urgency. But second of all, we work with a heart of love. Verse 8, it says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Notice that. He says, above all. It's so important. When it comes to your work, don't get so busy in the work that you forget to love. That you forget to, to, to love and to care for people. Above all, love one another earnestly. Our love for each other is the power of God that wakes people up from their sin. Love covers a multitude of sins. This does not mean that we hide, hide or gloss over or cover up sins. If there's things that are illegal that are going on, you have to report it. I remember one of the most difficult things one day for me as a pastor was to, to have to call the authorities on, on someone who I cared for greatly, but because I was compelled by the law and because of what I had heard, I was compelled to, to phone the authorities. I have to follow the authority structure in our land. And it was by love, for love, that I did this, but it wasn't seen as love. It wasn't, couldn't cover it over. You can't cover over sin. In that way, you've got to report it. You've got to deal with it. And, and God worked in and through that even in, in, in a tremendous way. But we need to be people, though, who are loving. Genuine love is a single thing we can do to help people to stop sinning. When, the, when people see our love in action, it sends a message. But if we are the type of people that will clean up your life first and then I'll love you, that's the wrong kind of thing. Christ hasn't done that with us. He loves us with an everlasting love. And so we are to love others. Romans 2 verse 4, it says that God's kindness would lead us to repentance. And the same is true. That is, we are showing kindness and love to other people. It leads them to want to get to know this Jesus that we're following. I'm so thankful that when people walk in the doors of this church, that they are welcomed. And I believe they're welcomed in love. Keep doing this. Folks that are newer that are part of that, just have joined us in, in recent weeks or months. It's our job to love and to care for, for, for people as they walk in. Introduce yourself to them if you don't know them. Walk across that room. One of the things that um, 
that, that can set us apart in that way is to be truly loving and taking that interest in people. And we need to keep growing and keep pressing in this. But then, it's kind of funny, Peter kind of takes us up a notch because it's easy to be loving in a church foyer or to, you know, talk to people and say a few things. But then he takes it up a notch by, by saying this in verse 9. He continues, he says, he says, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. So he says, love others. So, so have a genuine love. And now let's step it up a notch and let's show some hospitality. You say, oh, hospitality. I just cringe at that idea. I mean, my house is a mess. Well, clean it up. But, but it's more than that. You know, say, well, I'm not a good cook. You know, and, and we think that to be hospitable, it, it kind of means you have to throw a, a Martha Stewart kind of a table with, with a nice long table with dishes and napkins and candles and, and gourmet food. You know what? That is just going to treat our, your guests in, in, in such a, a great way at some dinner party. Because as soon as we think of the word hospitality, we can often think that. But that's not really the full understanding of this. You know what hospitality, a better understanding of that word is? Make room in your lives for others. Make room in your life for others. And not just those that are near and dear to you or that you get along with or you're good friends. It's, it's making room for the strangers, for the new person, for, for, for missionaries, uh, for, for pastors, and not necessarily me. But as you get to know these people, love them, encourage them, make room in your life for them. I'm so thankful for a dear friend of mine who's here today who, who takes and makes time for pastors and, and shares a bit of his life with me and with other pastors on a regular basis, making room in our lives, showing hospitality, not just to people we like, but also to the difficult people in our lives. What this means, hospitality and showing hospitality, is walking alongside one another in extend, for extended periods of time. Why? Just to be friends and to chum along and just to know that you care. No, it's got to have a purpose. It's so that the glory of God would be revealed in their lives. And you know what's going to happen to you? You're going to get tested. You're going to get tried because at times they're going to drive you nuts. And at times it's going to mean that it's giving up of yourself and, and, and giving of yourselves more and more to them. And it's teaching you areas to let go of. And it's teaching you more reliance and trust in God. And sometimes you want to pull your hair out with the people that you are walking with or that you are spending time with. And yet it causes you to rely more on him. And so you're walk for Christ or your work for Christ in this way ends up becoming something that causes you to grow and, and, and to have your faith, stretch, faith stretched. And I love the way it says, he makes that little shot in there because I think he knows the heart when he says, show hospitality without grumbling. You know what, because we can, well, I'll be hospitable all, all right, but why, why am I doing this? You know, and it's, Get your heart right. Do it with the right heart, with the right motives. And what is the right heart? What is the right motives? The gospel. It's what Christ has done. Look at the way he's loved and accepted you. And he's not grumbling as he watches you mess up and, and, and take time and kind of three steps forward and two steps backwards. And he's like, oh man, why, why did we ever make him? You know, and turn to, to, to God the Father. He's not grumbling not complaining he loves you and so it's with the right heart it's it's with the right motivation so i wonder think about it who i mean because we can easily just talk about this stuff and say oh yes 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 well then that, that that's good love people make room you know hospitality yeah yeah, yeah. check mark check mark yeah and that sounds good so who in your life that god has placed in your life that you need to show hospitality towards and remember it's more or different or it's not even tea and crumpets it's making room it's 
walking along with, alongside with? Who, who might God be laying on your heart? Is it somebody at work? But you, you know, they're going through a tough time, and it's time to show them the love of God. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a family member. And God's just saying, you need to spend some time with this person. Who's that going to be? It's a command here. It's something that we are called in God's word to, to love, to be hospitable, make room in our lives, just not for the easy people, but for all people. And God will lay these people on our hearts. Thirdly, we work in the power of the Holy Spirit. We work in the power of the Holy Spirit. Every follower of Christ, if you are a follower of Christ, you've been given a gift to serve the body. Listen to this in verse 10. And as each has received a gift. Notice it doesn't say gifts. It says you've received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Now, all of us have certain abilities. We have certain intrinsic abilities and talents that are different than anyone else. I mean, obviously we had people on the stage today who have some musical ability. You don't want me to be on the stage with my a musical ability. It won't create worship. It will create maybe weeping or gnashing of teeth or something like that. And every once in a while my mic stays on. I forget to turn it off. And, and the in-ear monitors, they, they get some of my glorious singing in their ears, and, and it's a miracle they can continue to keep singing. And, and, and so there are some, I mean, who are really good with numbers. Some are really good at organizing. Some, some just are really gifted with sports. I mean, you have some people who just are gifted sports-wise, and then you have others, and it can sometimes be in the family who just like, wow, is that, is that kid adopted? Because they're so different than their brother or their sister, but, but they excel in another area. And so we all have different abilities and talents, but when it comes to a spiritual gift, in verse 10, it's so clear, each has received a gift. That when you come to faith in Christ, you are given a gift, you are given a deposit, something that is to be used for the body of Christ. And for you not to use it is meaning that the body of Christ is paralyzed. It's not functioning in the way that it ought to. And then you say, but what are the gifts? What gifts are you talking about? You know, and well, you can read in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. There's some listings of some of the spiritual gifts that are there. You can go on our church website and you can do a spiritual gift inventory and kind of a survey and it kind of then shows you, you know, just where your giftings, where your abilities. And, and more than likely, oftentimes your gifting ends up, you know, that spiritual gift is oftentimes that top thing that, that is identified through these questionnaires. And I think, wow, is that the only way we can find out our spiritual gifts is doing some sort of an inventory or something like that? that? That's one way. You know the best way to find out what your spiritual gift is? Roll up your sleeves and serve. Start serving in the body of Christ. Roll up your sleeves and, and when small groups get going, and commit to being part of a small group. Because as you do life together as a small group, as you do life together as a church, as a, as a ministry. I mean, when, when Harvest Kids began, and Pam started with that, and she kind of had this group of people that some of them were new. She didn't know uh, a lot about them. She didn't know a lot about their giftings and abilities. And, and after a few meetings and seeing them in action, it's just like, wow, this person can really organize. This person can teach. This person, you know, it just, just is very loving and can welcome. And, and you know, and, and you start seeing the giftings. You start to see how God has, has used these people. And, and so each one of us has a gift. And, and part of it is just get in there. And, and there's no insignificant gift. Every part is essential. 
Every part of our bodies, you think about it, um, are important. Nose hairs are important. You might just think, well, I'm insignificant. You know, I'm like a nose hair in the body of Christ. Nose hairs are amazing. I mean, I mean you do the research. You, you, I mean, it, it, it cleans the air going into your lungs and it gives husbands something to pick and drive their, their, their wives nuts at times with, with, with pulling them, you know. And, and so, I mean, every part is important. And so every person in the body of Christ has a gift and you are significant. But do you know what your spiritual gift is? important that you get to know that. You have others around you, and, and, and sometimes those gifts, somebody may have the gift of speaking, the gift of preaching God's word, the gift of teaching. Well, that doesn't mean, well, oh, well, we identify with you a teaching gift, so you should start teaching a small group right away. No, there's got to be some training at times and, and some studying God's word. Maybe, maybe they're a newer believer and don't know God's word very well, and they need to be taught. You're not going to just go and give it to them, but it's it's with a humble heart we receive from others and, and we grow in those gifts and we sharpen those gifts. So important that we grow in that. And even in the training center when, when I went to, to Chicago and, and uh, spent some time there, one of the areas they wanted to grow and they wanted to, to work with us all in was our area of preaching. And I mean, here, I've been in ministry for a lot of years, and there's a part of me, well, why do I need to preach? Why, why do you need to do this? I've, I've preached hundreds, maybe even, maybe even like over a thousand sermons in my lifetime. I mean, this seems a little crazy. No, we need to keep learning and growing and, and being challenged and, and sharpened in, in our giftings and, so, and, and have others speak into our lives, even though sometimes it's not easy to hear and we don't want to hear it, and sometimes they might be wrong, and yet oftentimes they just might be right. So we grow in these things. Listen to this. For me to be all that I am to be, and for you to be all that you are to be, we are all to be using our spiritual gifts. That's the way the body is. And look at verse 11 then. It says, Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, he serves with the strength that God supplies. And, and whether we speak for God, whether we serve God, it, it's just funny, it kind of pulls out two different areas, the gift of serving and the gift of, uh, of speaking. Do it in God's strength. Don't do it in your own strength. Do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. You do it in your own gifting, you do it in your own strength, you're going to run dry. You're going to get weak. You're going to get worn out. Some of you might be say, saying here, oh, phew, at least I don't have to speak the oracles of God. I'm glad that's other people's role. You know what? Can I just tell you? It's kind of interesting that Peter just mentioned two things because I think these two things, speaking the oracles of God and serving, are relevant and important for each one of us. You are all, not just with me doing this on a Sunday morning, but each one of us, we are to speak the oracles of God. God. We are to speak the truths of God's word. See, I can't, I, I can't stand up in front of people and do it. I'm not telling you to stand up in front of a group of people at your workplace or here on a Sunday morning and say, hey, not it, your turn, you can preach next, next, next week. You know, um, it's simply walking with others. Walking with others and sharing the gospel with them 
when the opportunities open up. And, and, and in the past and, and even currently, there's a lot of good training methods for evangelism to help you to share the gospel, to speak the oracles of God. There's a lot of opportunities. There were things like evangelism explosion. And then I remember there was this bridge model or this bridge method. And, and there was a, just even challenging, you know, even if you're in a restaurant, you can just write out this little drawing about you on one side and, and a chasm in the middle. And you draw this on a napkin or, you know, on, on you know, at a piece of paper that you find in the restaurant and, and you can share the gospel with someone and, and, and that's important and that's good and, and you know or else through a series of pointed questions this was one that was popular a number of years ago by asking people a number of different questions to get them thinking and then boom you kind of hit them with the truth of the gospel and that's good and, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that but you know what you might say, but I, I don't have that training. I wouldn't know what to say. Well, you could get the training. You could read the books. You could go online. You could see some of this. But you know where it can easily start for you to speak the oracles of God? It's what we've been commanded to earlier. Love. Love others. Ask questions. Take an interest in their lives. Make room for them. Show that hospitality. And guaranteed, and whether it's a, a waitress in a restaurant or somebody you're sitting next to on the airplane, it doesn't take very long. You ask them a few questions, they start opening up in their lives. People oftentimes start just to open up and you can find out where they're hurting. You can find out what the challenge is. And simply by being able to say to them at the end of the conversation of them sharing, say, you know what? Would it be all right if I prayed for you? And you might, don't want to make it awkward for them, um, but if the opportunity's there, you take and you pray for them right there. Or you just tell them, listen, I'm going to be praying for you about this. And then the next time that you see them, you ask them, hey, how are you doing? I've been praying for you. And you ask God to give you a scripture verse and, and something that might be meaningful. Maybe you can text it to them or you can email it or you can phone them or write it out and you can send it to them or next time you see them say, here's a verse for you and you're speaking the oracles of God. You're taking that interest. And at some point then, more than likely, there's going to be opportunity for you to take and be able to share the gospel with them. And, and, and it's not just about, hey, you know what, Here, here's a booklet, read it, you know, and, and, and you know, get saved. It's, let me walk with you. Show this hospitality. Build into their lives. Take that genuine interest. Asking those questions. How can I pray for you? I've never, ever had anyone refuse me praying for them. Whether or not, I mean, sometimes, and, and I try to be careful. I try, you know what, if it's, you know what, in some busy area in life and craziness, I'm just like, let's stop and let's pray. No, it's, it's just tell them, listen, I'm going to be praying for you and following up with some care and some love, but I've never heard anyone has ever said to me, no, don't pray for me. I don't believe in that. They may be an atheist, but you know what? If they think that you have some sort of, you know what, tapping inability to the God of the universe and they're desperate, they'll take it. And you know what? You do have an ability to tap into the God of the universe on their behalf. What a privilege. And so we, we work with urgency, with love, making Room for hospitality in the power of the Holy Spirit. And, and finally, we work for the glory of God. It's not for our glory. It's not for the church's glory. It's for the glory of God. And, and notice, to Him be dominion. To Him be dominion forever and ever. This is about eternity. We don't work for our reputation. We don't work for our glory. We don't look, work so that people can stand up and say, Oh, look at you. Look at what God has done. I'm, I'm so encouraged. It, it's so amazing that 
just, just to hear of some of the things that God is doing in some of our harvest churches and, and, and just, you know what, how people are getting saved and, and God's word is being proclaimed. And, and when there's a genuine work of God that's going on, you go and you check out the leadership, you talk to them, and, and all you just keep hearing from them is, he must, de- he must increase, I must decrease with humble hearts for the glory of God, not getting recognition, not getting glory here on this earth, but longing to hear those words one day from our Heavenly Father. Well done, good and faithful servant. That is why we work. I remember hearing years ago an interview. This was life, life-changing. I mean, it's something, not life-changing, but very, very motivating and sobering for me to hear. And, and, and I was listening probably 25 years ago, actually recorded it on a video. And, and actually, when I was dating Charlotte, I, I even uh, pulled it out to kind of play it for her. And just, you know what, because it was just very meaningful for me. And it was an interview that somebody was having with Billy Graham. And they were talking to him and, and, and they said, you know, Billy, you've had so much success. You've had just, you know, you've preached to millions of people. I mean, this ministry has brought in millions of dollars and, you know, just going on and on. And he says, when you die, what do you want people to say about you? How do you want to be remembered? And he says, I hope they don't say anything about me. He says, I don't really care what others say about me. He said, the thing I long to hear is from my Heavenly Father. Well done, good and faithful servant. And this was the part that blew me out of the water when he said this. His next statement was, he said, I'm not sure if I'm going to hear that. And I just thought, what? Billy Graham isn't sure if he's going to hear that well done. I mean, after, I mean, he's preached. He's, I mean, so many people have gotten saved. And I mean, he's just, you watch those videos of that, you know, in his early years, this spit fiery Billy just pounding it out and just calling people to repent and come to Christ. And he's not sure he's going to hear it. You know what? He's just not concerned about hearing it. But he also said, I've been entrusted with much, therefore much will be expected of me. And he says, I just want to remain faithful. Folks, each of us have been entrusted with something. We've all been entrusted. And remember, it's first of all about having our worship right. It's having our walk with him that is 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 going on on a steady basis. And that's where the body of Christ, that's where the church is so important. But then we also have been gifted to work for Christ. Let's pray together. Father, what we're talking about here is for eternity. And so much of how we will go and spend the rest of this day will not be for eternity. It will be for the here and now. And I'm not downplaying those things. Those things are important. And yet, oftentimes our priorities, the way that we spend our time, the way that we spend our resources, and what we're spending it on, it's not for your glory, it's for our enjoyment, and it's for our pleasure. And and God, you want us to enjoy life and to enjoy this fantastic creation, but it's all having that balance. And Lord, I pray that we would examine our own hearts in this and, and look to see in areas the, the way that we've maybe been negligent in our work. We've been lazy in our work. We've put off the work that you call us to as 
followers of Christ. And, and Lord, there's nothing more beautiful to see the body of Christ functioning together with all of its parts and pieces, functioning the way that it should. And we know that in time, we, we know there's disease, we know that there's paralysis, we know there's issues that come to our, our bodies, and, and that happens to the body of Christ. But then we come to the healer, the one who can bring healing and wholeness and restore the body. And Father, I pray that each one of us would examine our hearts in this way. And Lord, that we wouldn't serve you out of guilt or duty. Those are poor motivators. They, they work for a little while. But the results are often times very little and don't last. Lord, we want to work for kingdom purposes. It's about the gospel. It's about what you have done and what you are doing in our lives. And we want to share that. And, and as we work for you, we take new steps of faith and obedience. And even within the church here, there's various areas of need. I believe that you call us first and foremost to serve. To, you set that example. You washed the feet of your disciples right before your death. Before you made the greatest statement this world has ever seen that the righteous would die for the unrighteous. You were on your knees serving. And Father, may we learn from that. May we glory in the truth of what you do to a heart that is set free and surrendered to you. And I pray that we would surrender our lives to you in a personal way. If someone doesn't know you here in a personal relationship, may they they ask the questions. May they pray that prayer. May they talk to myself or to someone else who they know and lead them into what a relationship with you looks like. And for the rest of us, Lord, I pray that we would work. Work for the end is near, for your timing, your arrival back here on this earth. And that is coming and we desire to be on mission for you. May our lives be one of thanksgiving our response to you and, and of active surrender and even as we worship you now pray that you would just do that work in our hearts as your spirit examines us and puts people on our hearts and puts put opportunities and look for opportunities to serve you and to work for you we love you Jesus we thank you that we get to do this not because we have to but because it's an honor it's a privilege let's worship together